Hello, and welcome to In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. Shortly, I'll be joined by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. In the Dirt is our bi-weekly commentary on what's going on in the gravel world. Our in-depth interviews with product designers, athletes, and course designers will be back in your feed next week, as always. If there's something you'd like to hear us discuss on In the Dirt, feel free to reach out via phone at 415-843-1701. Just leave a voicemail over there, or feel free to hit us up on social media or shoot me a note at craig at thegravelride.bike. With that said, let's dive right into this week's show. Randall, good to see you, my friend. Always a pleasure, Craig. How you doing? I'm doing okay, but I'd be lying and being disingenuous if I did not share that I am hurting, my friend. My rib cage is so sore, so I had a crash yesterday. Yeah. I was it was one of those things I had climbed up uh coastal view up to Pantol Ranger Station on Mount Tam. Beautiful climb, and my intention was to continue climbing up to East Peak and go over Laurel Dell. And I was solo, so I was really just more interested in, in climbing and putzing along and being safe. And I ran into a couple buddies of mine on mountain bikes uh, at Pantol, and they were heading down, and we were chatting. And I was like, you know, it'd be really nice to ride with someone for a change because I so often ride solo. And so I decided to turn around, and I caught one of the mountain bikers, and he said, do you want to go by? I was like, yeah, I'll go try to catch my other friend. And two corners later, the bike just whipped out from underneath me. I was on a left-hand corner. It's quite gravelly on that trail. I was on the top of a rut, and the front wheel washed down to the bottom of the rut. And next thing you know, I am just tumbling, skidding, tearing body parts off. And uh, yeah, now I'm thankful, all things considered, I I rode home, and I'm just going to be sore for a week or so. Nothing, nothing's broken. Nothing's broken. Just a, some skin loss on my, my left side is a disaster at this point. Yeah. It's, uh, I've had a crash on that same trail, uh, further up, not with the ruts. Um, and, uh, I think you had said like you were trying to catch up to the guy ahead and also keep, you know, keep ahead of the guy behind. And my situation was the same exact thing. Um, I was, you know, I had actually let a, a buddy of mine who was in town, uh, he was borrowing one of my bikes and I let him go ahead and I gave him like a lot of distance cause I had a GoPro on. And I was going to make a video of me like catching up to him real fast, you know, like, yeah, get over yourself. But, um, uh, yeah. So anyways, I got a really great video of me bombing down the first section of that trail and then just eating it and then lying and, you know, ended up limping home, um, you know, one legged for a good chunk of the ride back to the city, which is a good distance. Yeah, it is. Um, and, uh, I think the lesson is, uh, yes, these bicycles are very capable. I don't think in any either case it has anything to do with the bike and everything to do with the psychology of like riding outside of yourself and like not listening and getting into your flow state and being like, oh, I got to catch up to that person. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully <laughs> yeah. you got out for some rides or some adventures this week. What have you been up to? Um, so I've definitely done some riding. Uh, my colleague, Sam, uh, our colleague, Sam was, was with us in, in Mount Shasta. Uh, this is the last week that we're here. We go back to the city, uh, San Francisco, uh, on uh, tomorrow, actually Tuesday. So we're, we're recording this on Monday. Um, I climbed Mount Shasta, which was amazing. Uh, like really it's, it's something that when I was racing back in the day, I always said that when I was done racing, um, that mountaineering would be something I get into, particularly like lower technicality, kind of more like grueling, just like get through it sort of, uh, you know, just feeling like the, the, 
the, the deep satisfaction of, of pushing your body to its limits and getting out of your comfort zone a bit. So I did that for the first time and it was actually, um, it was challenging, but, but not overly so. And it, it really made me think that, um, like all the miles on the bike just have, have given me kind of a, a body that can do a lot of things. When I go climbing, I go, I go trail running, I, you know, swim across a lake while I'm here, which is another thing I haven't done since I was a kid. Um, you know, just like really, it's been, it's been, um, honestly amidst everything going on in the world, uh, especially with, with COVID and quarantining and being in a city and so on, being able to, to get into a place like this is, has been, uh, it's been really kind of opening in terms of uh, headspace and the like. So yeah, that's, that's been the big thing on my mind. As I was saying to you offline at Mount, Mount Shasta is a great place for that kind of discovery. If, if anybody hasn't visited there, it's truly a, a sort of magical little spot in Northern California and I believe that the team at Grinduro has discovered it and is moving the event there, which is going to be interesting. I don't know whether it's going or not going this year, but it's certainly a great place to bring people to. Well, one thing I'll say is that um, whenever it goes, this is a place. This is like a a, a place that you definitely uh, is definitely worth experiencing. Um, we talk a lot about like the great national parks and so on. Um, you know, you have Yosemite and Yellowstone and the like. Um, I find that this this place has that sort of impact and it's well maybe we shouldn't be talking about it so much because then too many people will come and it'll change the dynamic but it's 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 pretty quiet and there's like you can go out and just get lost and 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 have the mountain to yourself uh, it's it's pretty fantastic yeah no, absolutely so when we designed the concept for in the dirt we talked about a desire to talk about what's going on in gravel. And honestly, when, when we had that conversation, I had no idea the types of things that would be thrown our way. And I'm frankly a little bit uncomfortable with the topic that just demands a little bit of conversation. And that is um, Jim Cummings, part of the Dirty Kansas team and one of the founders, made some incredibly hurtful comments on Facebook about the shootings in Atlanta. And it really... You know, it just it was really hurtful to a lot of people, rightfully so, and it sort of demanded action. And in turn, that shone a light on the name of Dirty Kanza and the fact that that in and of itself has been shown to be incredibly insensitive. And I, as you know, Randall, I didn't want to talk about it, but it felt disingenuous not to and i'm uncomfortable with the conversation and i appreciated you encouraging me to say let's just have it let's give people some resources and let's put it to bed and let authentic voices talk about it not to to white guys on a podcast yeah yeah and i i you know for me like not having the conversation didn't sit right um in the same way that making it about us doesn't sit right uh, and so, you know, I think one thing uh, that's worth pointing to, you had actually sent this to me and uh, my, my, my partner and, and co-founder, uh, Alice, had actually sent it to me already, this, this piece in The Radivist uh, by Alexandra Huchin. Um, and this is, you know, uh, Alexandra is, uh, is, you know, is Native American um, and is also a pretty badass endurance cyclist. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you know, rather than than uh, try to paraphrase or, or caricature her, you know, point of view here, I just want to point people towards it and just say, like, this is a 
are really good starting points. Um, and you know, the, it just, it, it really kind of starts to open up, uh, the, you know, some of the feelings behind like, why is this such a big deal? It's just a name, right? Well, you know, her experience growing up, uh, Native American in this country and, you know, having that, that feeling she talks about like her skin and being described as like looking dirty and going home and trying to wash it off. And that is heartbreaking. And so like when you view it in that context, it's like, well, okay, like this is, it's just, um, on the one hand, it's just some words. On the other hand, like words have deep meaning and in our words, we acknowledge, you know, our truths. And so, you know, the name of this event, um, doesn't seem to acknowledge a brutal, brutal history of genocide and, you know, frankly, white supremacy in this country, um, towards native American peoples. Yeah. So, uh, it's an yeah. absolute must read on the subject and it will give way more insight than we could possibly give. One of the quotes she attributed to someone named Bobby, and I think it's Bobby Wentel from mid South was once I learned I had no choice and that, yeah. that those words have kind of reverberated on a lot of subjects for me lately. And just as I sort of evaluate the privilege I've had as a white male, um, it's really helped me have a greater understanding and empathy. And that's all I can hope for everyone that we contact, that we're in touch with, that's listening, that we can all be empathetic and we can do better. Mm. Yeah, I think learning like and, and it's not about like feeling guilty. It's about being aware and learning how to be an ally and and this is where it comes in uh, you know the the element of like more voices so uh, you and i talked about this before the pod today but like asking the audience like what are some other resources what are some other voices um that that are you know really value, valid on this topic um please you know send them in because uh, we're 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 all ears. Yeah. We want to learn. And if anybody knows Alexandra's contact information, I will try to reach out to her. Cause as you said, she is a badass athlete. I believe she's done tour divide and I know she's done DKXL on a couple occasions where this was going to be her second occasion. So a powerful voice and a powerful rider. And, um, you know, that's who we needed to hear from. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a starting point. Yeah, so Absolutely. So it's kind of, it's weird and odd to transition to bike nerdery, but I know that's what we're here for. So, um, what have you been thinking we're about here for a mix of, we're here for a mix of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so back to bike topics, I've been noodling and you and I have talked about this time and time again, just about bike bags. And I feel like we're in the, the heyday of this new, new bike bag concepts that are really super valuable to your overall enjoyment of the bike. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this, uh, definitely just you and I, uh, in our conversations, but, um, like the, I think there's a roadie mentality that still lingers of like wanting to bring the absolute minimum and be super light and all this other stuff. Um, and you know, really for this experience, like you want to go with everything you might need along the way. And that, that extra pound, couple of pounds, several pounds is really not going to make a difference versus say like, like I was the other day being caught out on the backside 
of a, you know, Shasta remote wilderness, um, and realizing I didn't have extra clothes. I had run out of water. Um, and you know, that, that, that's a very easily solvable thing. These bikes have plenty of places to put things on. Uh, so yeah, the one that really jumps out at me, um, and that I'm really excited to get actually, um, is, um, so there's, there are a lot of like quarter frame bags or like just upper frame bags. Um, uh, my buddy Mark Mendoza from post has a new bag out that, um, I think is, looks to be really well done. So I'm really excited to see, you know, uh, you know, experience that. Um, I've ridden with a frame bag before, um, big, you know, a big, uh, uh, full frame bag and gone bike packing and so on. And, you know, found like a lot of shortcomings in terms of like the way it splays out and, you know, it kind of gets in the way of your pedal stroke and so on. I feel like these kind of sleeker, um, you know, thinner, uh, more compact and kind of upper frame bags that have a little bit of structure to them, uh, to keep them out of the way are really kind of that really sleek solution that, that will hopefully allow the bike to carry more gear without the feeling of it of it losing some of its sportiness yeah for i mean for fans of the sport you may have seen pictures of like colin strickland and a bunch of other guys and girls riding this quarter frame bag and it's basically a bag that it attaches to the top tube of the bike sits generally above your water cages so you can run two water bottles at the same time but gives you basically the entire length of your top tube in storage capability so I, I mean, I do share your love of that bag, and I, I, I tend to ride it more often than not. And my setup is such that if you know it's just a couple hour long ride, I pretty much have everything in there. So I, I don't run a seat bag, I don't run a bar bag, I don't run anything else. I just shove everything else in there. But then for me, I guess the cool part about it is if I am going bigger or it's winter time, I then add those other bags back. So if I take my rear seat bag with tube and, and, and CO2 in it, put that back on the seat. All of a sudden I've got four inches of space added to that frame bag. And if I need some maybe additional food capacity, I might put a bar bag on. And then all of a sudden I've got, you know, almost infinite new storage capability on the bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've been thinking about uh, a lot about like modularity and how, um, a lot of our on-bike storage solutions have, they've evolved a bit. I think we've started to transition away from racks and, you know, bags and panniers that strap onto racks. And like you end up with this kind of lumbering land yachts where the mass is all distributed at the extreme ends of the bike. And, you know, you, you, you bring everything um, that you can imagine uh, for say like a bike packing experience, taking it kind of to the next level. Um, but, you know, I think there's a real opportunity to reimagine on-bike storage in a way that makes it much more integrated into the experience because it is so, um, so essential to bring, like, you know, when you're, when you're doing this type of riding, getting further out, like, you need to be prepared. And so having, having a bike that has, you know, everything integrated in a way that, like, you, you don't lose any of that feel that you're going after when you try to strip the bike down. Uh, you know, storage solutions that do that are great. The bar bag solution, I find it like I'll do it for a sleeping bag um, when I'm bikepacking. Uh, but otherwise, like I don't 
like how the solutions out there right now generally kind of swing around. They you know will push if there's uh, external routing, they'll um, push you know the hose into the head tube, or they'll just be rubbing the head tube, or they'll use a strap that goes around the head tube, and every time you turn, it's just kind of like sawing through your paint. Uh, there's a definitely definitely a better solution here. I've prototyped a few things that that um, with existing bags that I found uh, work better and stabilize and so on. But I think that there's a real opportunity to kind of reimagine. Uh, that particular um, item that that seems to be growing in popularity. Yeah, no, I think it, we're in this moment in gravel where you know it's been around obviously a number of years, and people are finally starting to think about it from a different perspective. It's not a product manager who might have been managing the road section, just allowing a little bit more clearance for tires. We're now talking about how inputs back from the sport, back from the athletes, are starting to really drive the innovation. And to your point earlier, I think we all need to be very open to possibilities. Like we're in the period of time where we're probably going to buy some things that suck and we're going to discover some things that are great. And it's, I mean, I think that's a fun time to kind of geek out about the sport because innovation's happening. Yeah. It's, it's something I actually feel very fortunate because, uh, you know, I, I get to, it's part of my role. Like it's essential that I'm always prototyping stuff. Um, I'll show you the phone mount that I made uh, next time. You know, we go for a socially distant ride in the bay. Right on. Uh, but it's it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, when you, I mean, you look at like the specialized diverge putting storage capacity in the frame, and I know mm-hmm. you as a frame designer have some feelings on what you need to do to carbon in order to accommodate those things. Yeah, I'm. I, I think that um, it's a solution that makes sense. Um, I think that there's a, a better way to do it, um, which I'll talk about in a second. The, 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 the challenge I have with that particular solution is that you're taking a, um, you know, a, a complete round or roundish tube and you're cutting a hole in it. And that inevitably compromises the, the structural integrity of that component. Now, of course, you know, these things are tested, right? And to make them pass testing, you, you build, you, you add material, right? But inevitably, like it's, for me, it's not the most elegant solution, um, especially when you have all this space, like say in the, uh, I think specialized also on their, what is it? The Roubaix, um, had the, the solid plastic kind of lower triangle storage case. I actually find that to be a much more elegant solution because the frame remains completely intact, right? There's no compromises to the, the structure of the frame. Um, their particular execution there, I, th- I thought was, you know, pretty good. It's nice and clean. It's, it probably has some aerodynamic benefits, but, but, um, you know, really like aerodynamic benefits are, are overblown arrow isn't everything if it was we'd all be riding uh recumbents uh but yeah i'll go on that <laughs> well i guess i just went on that rant but I'll, I'll i'll leave it there um but yeah i think that uh i think that just in general one of the great uh areas for uh innovation in the sport to just make it even just making it more accessible right um, you know one of the things that comes up over and over again in my conversations with, with riders is, uh, especially just getting into the sport, is like, what do I need to bring and how do I use it, right? And so there's like, you know, a lot of mystery around like, you know, well, what do, like, what happens if I get a flat? Like, what are the things I need to bring? You know, we were talking about, dyna, you brought up dyna plugs last week or having a spare tube. And like, I, I think these storage solutions also get into the question of like, what is it that one should be bringing on on a ride in order to have a really great experience and be prepared for the things that will inevitably happen if you're riding enough? Because well, it will happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. I think the original concept at the bike shop level was you need to have a tube and a pump and a tire lever with you. 
and that's that's what you need to go for a bike ride but that that's the bare minimum right you if you're talking about what do you take to enjoy the ride well should you be freezing your ass off when you're descending off the hill no there's a pretty easy <laughs> solution to that if you have a way of carrying a jacket with you you can be comfortable on the way up and comfortable on the way down yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty simple so i think that that's uh as much as we like people like to to really get excited about like you know uh, you know, this frame is now a hundred grams lighter than the last version of it. And like, you know, a carbon stem and look at these blingy parts. Um, really the thing that's going to affect your ride experience, uh, more than a lot of that is going to be just like being prepared with all the things that you want to have along the way. Yeah. And I've, I've just found that this court going back to the quarter frame bag, this allows me so much space that I really don't need to think about it. I can very easily shove a jacket in there and I'm, I'm known for, bringing too much clothing with me. I lived in San Francisco too long to believe that in any given ride, the weather won't come back to bite me. And some days when I'm just struggling a little bit to get out the door, my tendency is to dress overly warm just so I eliminate Mm -hmm. that excuse from the equation of going out and riding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get the storage for it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for, for everybody listening, check out, check out those different frame bags, you know, Randall mentioned um, Post Carico. Our friend Mark does a does a bag that's just coming out pretty soon here. But there's other companies out there that have them as well. I know, I think Rafa makes one. If you want to spend a lot of ton of money on it, um, Revelate is a brand that I like out of Alaska that does a lot of bike packing stuff. But there's probably a few other options out there as well. Well, and then there's companies, you know, smaller outfits like uh, Rockrist and, and Rogue Panda that are, you know, small independent makers, um, every area like San Francisco has several different bag companies where you can just go and work one-on-one with somebody and they'll have an existing design that you can modify. And that's super gratifying too. That actually gets into our conversation around like, um, you know, innovation, like being an innovator in like just working with a custom maker to imagine exactly what you want for your experience. Maybe you want particular fabrics, maybe you want particular, um, you know, compartments or things like this. Yeah, no, I think it's a great way to kind of show your individuality and working with those smaller builders. It is super cool to say like, Oh, I want this fabric on this bag. I've always thought that was a really cool option. Yeah. You get to be part of the part of the creation process and not just, you know, buying it. Yeah. So bags, Uh, bags, bags. It's pretty clear that Randall and I both love and geek out of bags. So feel free to leave a comment or shoot us a note. If you want to, you want to geek out with us on that. We promised that we would end each show with uh, Can't Let It Go. Yeah. You want me to go so first? You, so, oh, I definitely want you to bring this oh, one up come first. Oh, come on. This, I mean, this whole episode <laughs> seems to be about getting me outside my comfort zone. So yeah. during, at the beginning of the pandemic, when my wife and I both learned we were going to be working from home, we were talking about the things we weren't going to be able to do, whether for her it was sort of going to a class in a gym or a yoga class. And we talked about the need for bringing a bike, you know, an exercise bike into the home. And my first reaction was, cool, if we're going to invest some money in this, I'm going to get part of the Zwift program. I'm going to get a smart trainer and that'll be the way we go. That seemed like the obvious choice, right, everyone? But it turns out my wife wasn't necessarily on the same page and her version of a, a home exercise bike looked more like a Peloton. In fact, it was exactly like a Peloton. And to be fair, my inclination, and thankfully we have never in Marin County been prevented from riding outside, my inclination is always to ride outside 
almost exclusively. So she was easily going to win this argument. But I have to say, and feel free to send me hate mail and shame, (laughs) I'm enjoying the damn Peloton. And I'll tell you what it is about it for me. I never do interval work. So maybe it's, uh, I may try to chase you on a climb or a friend here and there, but I would never do a structured workout. That's just not my jam. I really am just out there for the adventure, but I talk to enough coaches and I know enough about sports science to know that I really, I have developed this diesel engine and I don't have these peaks that I can tap into. And I have to say these Peloton classes, they kick your ass and I was able to find a couple of coaches that were actual cyclists, people who, who do bike races. There's a woman who's an ex-world champion on the track. And so they're saying the right things, right? They're not just yelling at me to ride at the beat. And my wife knows this. The, the thing that I hate the most is when someone tells me to stand up and hit 120 RPMs. I'm just like, what the heck? That's impossible. <laughs> so, you know, it's just been, it's been fun. It's been fun using that bike, and I'm sure anybody, there's got to be some closet gravel cyclists out there that share my newfound love of the Peloton bike. Well, and, and one thing that I'll say is like my first my first reaction was to like playfully pick on you and be like, it's okay. It's okay, Craig. We accept you. It's it's you can, you know, you're still everything everything is, you know, totally cool if it works for you. But actually the truth is that is totally cool if it works for you. Um everyone has the things that work for them. And uh in my my history with indoor riding was um I had a uh, I had a neck injury uh, from training some years ago. Um, I actually, this, this is a whole story that we should actually get into at some point. Uh, I broke my neck on a remote part of an island in the South China Sea. Um, and anyways, I couldn't, I couldn't ride outdoors for a while, but I was permitted to ride on a trainer. And that is the full extent of all the trainer riding that I did. And it was, I found it utterly maddening. And I hear... Um, you know, I bought a trainer. I used it for like a few weeks until I was allowed to ride on the road again. And then, and then that was it. And I sold it. Um, and it makes me think like, I hear stories about, um, like 24 hour racers who there's this one guy, I forget his name. Um, but he, the way that he would prepare would be to get on a trainer facing a blank wall and ride for 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) And and like, that is a level of, of meditative practice that I am just not at yet. And I know that Peloton is not that they're, they're in your face to tell you what to do and so on. But, um, yeah, for me, like, uh, you know, when I, when I can't ride outside, like I'll run, I'll lift weights, I'll do pushups or I'll just read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad strategy, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So how about you? What can't you let go of this week? Um, so, all right. So my themes tend to be always around the experience and like for me, so, um, really like this idea of like the bicycle as a vehicle for metamorphosis and like riding is as, as this thing that we do as, uh, you know, as an act of self-love, like it's a way that we take care of ourselves. Um, and in my own personal experience, definitely like when I have, when I have felt stressed or depressed or, or lethargic or, or in need of some sort of, um, you know, uh, inspiration, I can just go and put in, like, if I put in three, four hours on the bike, it's going to resolve itself. It's, it has to. And if it doesn't, um, you know, I just pedal a little bit harder and I sit with it. Not all the rides are good, but at the end of it, it's like, okay, I did that for myself. This is a way of taking care of myself. And I just see, 
I've, I've spoken with people who like got, you know, they, they had families and they've been working, you know, working jobs really hard for, for a long period of time. They haven't been taking care of their physical and mental health for quite some time. And, and with the, with COVID, they've had some time to kind of sit with that and be like, okay, now I don't have this commute anymore. I don't have, um, you know, I'm, 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 I have some window of opportunity to consider this and they get a bike and yeah, they like, maybe they lose some weight. I, I know one guy who lost like 50 pounds and he's like riding really hard, but really that's not like the point. That's just a, a sign of the, the broader, uh, the deeper truth, which is like, he, he's taking the time to, to take care of himself in a way that, um, you know, is I, I think the bicycle is just a really wonderful vehicle for, it, especially gravel riding, especially gravel riding, because you just go where you want to go. Yeah, I think there's there's something subtle in there that it might be a good takeaway for listeners that they've probably already gotten there. But just this notion that you know going out for a bike ride is not just exercise; it's so much more. And as you just said, particularly on the gravel bike, to be able to get out there in the woods away from people, it's just it's a it's a touch of primordial life that you rarely get to in modern society. Yeah. I mean, it, it was my first, um, it was my first experience of anything resembling meditative practice. It was the, you know, the only thing that I could do for a long time to, to quiet my mind. Um, and so, you know, it's, and, and not to mention just like the people and relationships I've had, the experiences I've had, the places I've seen. Um, and the fact that like, you can just hop on your bike and no matter where you are, we talked about this, I think last time, you can find some beautiful place within riding distance of your house. I don't care if you're in the middle of Manhattan, um, you know, you ride an hour, hour and a half, and you can find some, some peace and tranquility in a different headspace. And sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, no, I think you're uh, right. There's def- there's always been something meditative about just turning the pedals. There's, you know, if you think about how many pedal revolutions in an hour long ride, it's just this massive number and the repetitive nature of it, I think is just no other word for it. Mm. It's meditative. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cadence, breathing, heart rates. And then eventually your body just goes into this flow state where it can just be hyper-focused in the moment and the experience of riding your bike with joy. Yeah. No, and I think that's a yeah. good place to end it, guys. Go out there. Everybody get out there and get some meditation done on the bike this week. <laughs> we'll see you back next week for an interview show. And the following week, we'll be back with Randall. Thanks for joining right. us, everyone. Thanks, Randall. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks again to everyone for joining us this week. I hope you found the conversation interesting and helpful. It was a bit cathartic for me, so I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share some thoughts and feelings on what's going on in the gravel world these days. If you're interested in giving some feedback or have some suggestions of topics we should cover in the future, feel free to leave us a voicemail at 415-843-1701 or via email at craig at thegravelride.bike. If you're interested in supporting the show, giving us a rating, a review, or sharing this podcast with your other cycling friends is greatly appreciated. We've also got a page set up at buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride if you're interested in buying me a cup of joe or otherwise supporting our technical overhead here at The Gravel Ride. So until next time, thank you, and here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>